It's easy, isn't it, to give thanks when things are going well, isn't it? It's easy to give thanks when there's plenty of food on the table. It's easy to give thanks when there aren't any doctor's visits or Mayo Clinic visits. It's easy to give thanks when there's money in the bank. It's easy to give thanks when we go through times of plenty. But when it's tough to give thanks is when difficult circumstances arise. Isn't that true? It's difficult to give thanks to God for the things that we go through, through those trials, through those circumstances, through suffering, when things aren't going well. I've always found it difficult to give thanks, to have a spirit of gratitude in my life when things don't go well, when things haven't gone well. I wasn't very thankful the day that I got a call when my mom discovered she had breast cancer. I didn't find it very thankful. I didn't find it very grateful when I went through a period of time when my boss looked at me and said, I'm not sure that we are going to have enough money to cover your salary in the near future. I didn't like it when we went through a financial crisis. I didn't like it when the kids get sick. I don't like it when things don't work out the way that I want. But isn't it true that going through the trials of life, even though we may not like going through them, make us stronger? I um, grew up, as many of you know, I grew up playing golf. I've been playing golf since I was three years old. And I remember my dad, he used to take us to play golf. And if any of you play golf, you realize that your tee shot off the tee box is one of the high risk shots. It's one of those shots that has a great margin for error. Even the best players find themselves deep in the woods sometimes. And I remember as a young kid, my dad taking us out to play golf. And I'd hit an errant shot way to the right, way to the left, into the woods. And when I was three and four years old, just barely able to hit a golf ball, he would take me into the woods and we'd find that ball and he'd pick up the ball and he would take it out in the middle of the fairway and find the nice, greenest, fluffiest piece of grass and he'd throw that ball right out there in the middle of the fairway. But it was interesting, as I got older and as my dad began to teach me how to play golf at a different level and I got a little bit better and older, um, my tee shot would go in the woods and he'd take it out and he wouldn't put it in that nice piece of grass right in the middle of the fairway, he'd put it in the second cut. <laughs> if those of you know who the, what the second cut is, it's the thicker grass there just off the sides of the fairway. And I'd have to hit it out of the thick grass. And then as I became a teenager and got into middle school and high school and my game got better, for a period of time before it got worse when I became an adult. Anyway, and I would hit an errant tee shot and it would go deep into the woods. You know what my dad would do? Nothing. He would leave it right there and I'd have to go in the woods and figure out how to hit a shot. And I remember asking my instructor one day, why, why is that the way that golf goes? Why, why, do you, why do you build up and why do you, have to, hit a tee sh you know, have to hit your second shot from deep in the woods when it goes in there? And he said, you have to learn how to hit through the most desperate situation because sometimes in golf you find yourselves in desperate situations. And you know, it's the same as life, isn't it? We find ourselves in desperate situations sometimes. We find ourselves faced with the most dramatic trials in our lives. They may come in waves. They may come in little spurts. They may come years or decades apart, but we all go through trials, don't we? It's interesting, I've had a lot of time to reflect this week here on Hilton Head Island because we've had a trial 
here in Hilton Head, didn't we, this week? And it's been interesting because as I've thought about trials in our lives and how it affects our community, when there's an international or a national crisis, a national uh, suffering or national trial that we as Americans go through, we as human beings go through, it kind of hits us, just a ripple effect here. When there's something regional or statewide, it kind of hits us with a little more impact. But when we have something that happens in our community that's so desperate like what happened Thursday night, we feel the force of it, don't we? We take it personally. We feel that force. We feel that weight. This past Thursday night, a young 17-year-old, Kendall Walton, Hilton Head prep student, died in a car accident. She was in the car with four other students, Nate Riley, Maggie Deary, Megan Shepard, and Jacob Schultz. And I just want to pause for a moment. As we are talking about trials today, I want to pause for a moment and just pray for these families. Pray for these families who are going through hurt, who are going through pain. Some of you may live near or next to those families. So if you wouldn't mind, let's pray for these families during this tragic time. Father, I pray specifically for the Walton family. God, I pray for them this morning as that phone call that they received late Thursday night, they never probably dreamed of receiving. God, the pain and suffering that they're experiencing right now and the loss of their daughter has got to be beyond comprehension. And I pray right now for mom and dad and the two sisters. God, I pray for that family, that you would give them peace and comfort. God, I pray that you would give them the ability to get through this situation. And Father, I pray most of all that they would look to you during this time of crisis, God. I pray that they would look to you during this time of grieving and mourning in the loss of their daughter. God, I pray on the other side of this that you would give them hope and that they would become stronger because of this drastic trial that they're going, to, going through right now. God, I pray for Nate Riley, for Maggie Deary, God, for Megan Shepard and Jacob Schultz, and there's not much indication on how they're doing right now out there, but God, I pray that you would just heal their bodies, God. Those who may be in the hospital right now, whether it's here or Savannah, I'm not really sure, but God, I pray that you would just heal them. God, that you would be the author of healing. And God, I pray that you would be with those families, the moms and dads, the brothers and sisters, the friends, the Hilton Head High School students, the Hilton Head Prep students who are going to be mourning over the next week. God, I pray that you would bring people and things into their lives that would help point them to you. And God, I pray that you take a, a terrible, tragic situation like the loss of Kendall, God. And I pray that you would turn that into good like you so often do. And God, I pray that if some of these teenagers don't know you as their Savior, God, I pray that this situation would point them to you. Give them comfort. God, help those who are grieving, and I pray that you would just guide and direct. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. I, I want to admit this to you. This kind of message, a message on trials, is not one that a pastor likes to give. Often, if you're a pastor, um, you know that when you um, give a message, often God gives you a healthy dose of what you're preaching on in the weeks leading up or in the days leading up to that message. I had a pastor tell me once, I preached on hell last week. I'll never preach on hell ever again. It was one of the worst weeks in my life. Never again will I preach on the subject of hell. And so I want to admit to you today that what we're talking about this morning in our short time together as we are continuing in this series called I Am Blessed is not an easy thing to talk about. It's not an easy thing to face that we do go through trials, that we do go through suffering, 
that we do go through issues. But the Bible has a lot to say about it. The Bible has a lot of instruction to give us. And so during this Thanksgiving season, we've talked about being blessed for certain things. And so today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we're going to take a look at why we can say, I am blessed because of my trials. I am blessed because of my trials. Before I do that, I want to give you some background into the book of James. I want to let you know a little bit about James and why he may have written a message on trials. James was the half-brother of Jesus, the man who wrote this book. He was a half-brother of Jesus. And if you read in James 1.1, it says it's written to the 12 tribes scattered uh, throughout And it's interesting because James was uh, obviously a Jewish convert. And as he matured in his life and as Jesus' half-brother left this world, James became one of the leaders of the first church. He was a very well-respected man and a godly man. And he wrote a book to what he calls the 12 tribes scattered throughout the earth. And so James is writing specifically to the Jewish Christians. I want you to catch that. I don't want you to miss that. He's writing to the people who once were Jews and became Christians who have been scattered throughout Palestine. Now, let me have you think about this for a moment. Jewish Christians in the first century knew something about suffering, didn't they? If they were Jewish, if they grew up in a Hebrew house, they would have heard the stories about all the, uh, all the journeys of their nation, all the, the wanderings of the nation of Israel, and all the trials and tribulations they went through. They would have known something about trials because of their heritage. But then these that he's speaking to are ones who got saved. These that, he or, that James is speaking to are ones that accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And they switched their lives. They turned their life on their head. And so they would have experienced suffering like we can't imagine in the first century culture. That was absolutely against, that was so absolutely against people becoming Christians. And they, they would have experienced all kind of persecution. And they would have experienced terrible suffering because they were now Christ followers, followers of the way. And so these people, not only the author of this book, but the recipients of this book would have been people who had an understanding of suffering this morning. Now, I would imagine that there's probably some of you who are in here this morning who are suffering. You're going through trials. You're going through hardships. You're going through tribulations yourself. We all have gone through them to one extent or the other. I remember as a high school student, this was the first passage that I ever taught on as a high school student in a Bible study. And I kind of, this week as I've been preparing this message, uh, I got thinking about uh, as like a, you know, 18-year-old talking about trials, I knew nothing. And I'll probably be 58 and look back when I was 38 and think, I knew nothing about trials. But as we get older, we learn more and more about trials because we experience life. Isn't that true? And so James has a lot to tell us about trials. And so let's take a look at James chapter 1, and we're going to take a look at verses 2 through 18 this morning. James starts off and he says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind. Don't worry, we're going to come back to that in a minute. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives it generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. 
But when he asks, he must what? Believe and not doubt. Believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Verse 7. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. Do you see that counterintuitive thinking that James here is giving us as instruction? Verse, verse, eight, he, um, verse 9, the brother in, in humble circumstance ought to take pride in his high position. Verse 10, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. Verse 11, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers with plants. It blooms, uh, its blooms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. I want you to catch verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires, he's dragged away and enticed. Verse 15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers, James ends. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chooses to give us birth through the word of truth that we may be, be a kind of first fruits of all he created. We are saying three statements about how we're blessed. We're making three proclamations, three declarations about how we as people should be thankful Last week, we talked about how we can say that we're thankful that we can have gratitude for what God has given us. I am blessed because of what God has given us. I am blessed because of what God has given me. I want you to say that with me. I am blessed because of what God has given me. That's the first lesson. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at what God has given us spiritually, and we can make a declaration that I am blessed because of what I have spiritually. Say that with me. I am blessed because of what God has given me spiritually. And we're going to learn those lessons. But I want you to listen to the irony of this phrase. I am blessed because of my trials. I am blessed because of my trials. I want you to say that with me. I am blessed because of my trials. It doesn't sound right, does it? It doesn't ring right. It sounds counterintuitive, but that's exactly what James is trying to communicate to us this morning. That's exactly what James is trying to tell us this morning. And I want to take a look real quickly this morning at this passage in three different parts, and we're going to amplify three different parts this morning. The first part is, section, is verses 2 through 4. Take a look at this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. The first thing I want to define is that word trial because James has a, an interesting way of talking about this. He talks about it in broad terms. He says trials of what? Any kind. He's talking about suffering, and the word that he's using there in the Greek has its definition rooted in a word that means suffering or hardship. 
So James is saying that trials, suffering, or hardship of any kind, we ought to consider joy because we're going through it. Wait a minute, James. That's counterintuitive. That's not what the world says. That's not what my tendency says, that I should have joy when I encounter trials. But that's exactly what James says, that when we go through suffering, when we go through things that we don't like to go through, that we ought to receive that as joy. Now, specifically, James is also talking about, he's talking about trials of any kind, life circumstance that doesn't meet with what we think it ought to meet, things that are disappointing to us, literal physical sufferings. But James is also, there's a double meaning there. He's also talking about the suffering that we as Christ followers will receive. And back in the first century church, that was persecution beyond anything that we can imagine today. But we all have suffering to some extent because we're Christ followers. We may be ignored. We may be put off because we're Christ followers. We may be blasphemed because we're Christ followers. We may be made to be looked at as zealots because we're Christ followers, and we all go through a bit of suffering. And so James is talking about those kinds of sufferings. He's talking about those things that we go through. Now, I want us to consider the word consider for a moment. He says, consider it all joy. And James is linking those two words, consider and trials. Consider your trials. And what he's saying here is he's saying, I want you to think about, church, your trials. But what he's trying to drive at here, I want you to catch this, is he's trying to drive the, the recipient, he's trying to drive the reader or the audience to something deeper, to something uh, to a larger extent, to something that's um, uh, much more broad or much more deep in perspective than just the circumstances of our trials. He's saying, Christ follower, I want you to consider how you can count it joy because of those things you go through. You see, when we receive trials, we think of just the surface stuff, the stuff that's on top of the water, how it affects us, how it's disappointing to us, how it pulls us down, how it may cost us money, how it may cost us time. And we kind of have this self-preservation, which is natural for human beings. But he wants us to consider how we can count it joy when we have trials. He wants us to dig a little deeper when we have trials of many kinds. Suffering for Christ, but also suffering in general. So uh, consider your trials and consider those things that you go through this morning and try to find the deeper lesson learned. Try to find the deeper point of maturity. Try to find that point when you draw closer to God because of the trials that you go through. I want you to reflect even this past year on your trials. You're like, thanks, Todd. I appreciate that this morning on that Sunday morning in November. I want you to consider your trials this morning. I want you to think about the things that you've gone through over the last year. And even though God is concerned about our suffering, he says, cast all your cares upon me for he cares for you. I want you to consider what you've learned from those trials, what the deeper meaning is that James talks about considering your trials and trying to find what you're trying to find from them, trying to find that point of maturity from them. I am blessed because of my trials. Now, I want you to capture this also. James is talking about joy. And often we compare joy and happiness, don't we? We talk about joy and happiness as kind of the same thing, as kind of the, a synonymous. But there's a distinct difference between joy and happiness. Happiness, when defined in this particular context, I want you to catch this, means a pleasurable or satisfying 
experience. One experience. A joyful or a happy experience. Like today, later today, I will be happy when the Falcons beat the Titans, okay? I will be happy when we get in the car this week and drive for our Thanksgiving trip. I will be happy when we do that. You'll be happy when you get that good grade on a test that you have, right, students? We're happy when the guy next door to our house doesn't park his truck on our lawn anymore. That kind of stuff makes us happy. It's circumstantial. Are you with me this morning? It's based on circumstance, and we can say that we're happy. James doesn't mention anything about happiness in this passage, does he? He doesn't say that we have to be happy because of what we're going through. He says that we are to be what? Joyful because of what we're going through. Joy is completely different. Joy is totally different. You see, happiness is fleeting. Happiness leaves. If the Titans, you know, beat the Falcons today, I will lose the happiness. If the trip gets canceled on our Thanksgiving vacation, we'll lose happiness. If the test that you got an A on was actually someone else's and you failed, your happiness is gone. If the guy parks the RV in my grass like Cousin Eddie does, you know, our happiness will be fleeting. Happiness is circumstantial. But joy is lasting. Joy literally means a state, a continual state of happiness. And that's what James wants us to find in our trials. He wants us to find a continual state of happiness because of our trials, because of those things that we go through. And when we get to that point, we can say, I am truly blessed because of my trials. Secondly, look at verse 12 here for a moment. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Do you realize that there is actually crowns in heaven that you get when you persevere under suffering? Some of you are like, awesome, I'm going to be rich when I get to heaven because I've had a ton of trials. Well, hang on just a second. You may be right. But what does it say? That you'll receive them when you what? Persevere under trials. That word persevere means to not give up, to not give in, to hold on to God, to trust him, to believe and not doubt, as it said there earlier, when we go through trials, that we must persevere under trials. Church, you know what this means? This means that during the roughest time in our marriages, this means during the most dramatic financial crisis, this means even when we go through a death of a loved one, like some of you have even this week here on Hilton Head Island, that we must persevere, that we shouldn't give up on our families, that we shouldn't give up on our wives and our husbands and our kids, that we shouldn't give up that God will provide during that financial crisis that we shouldn't give up when things look absolutely pitch black. And when we do that, we receive crowns in heaven. We receive literal gifts in heaven one day when we persevere. And I want to end with this this morning. Look at verse 17. Every good and perfect gift, it says every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Even our trials are good and perfect, aren't they? We may not be happy, 
But one day when we understand what those trials are doing, we can say, I am blessed because of my trials.